Good morning, everyone, and welcome to All Things SR Podcast. And today we have a very special theme. So how are you doing, Leslie? I am doing really well, Pam. Happy, happy Saturday to everyone, be it morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. I'm so happy and so shocked that it's the the 10th of October. I don't know about you guys, but I still can't believe that we are in... <laughs> We are in the last few months of the year. Oh, it's yes. been remarkable. Truly it remarkable. Been. It has been. And we have uh, good mornings. I want to say to all of our friends in the chat room. I see Anna just joined us. Good morning, Anna, Kenzie, Betty, mm-hmm. Jean Ann, Yvonne, Annabelle, Lori, mm-hmm. Ashley. And a special hello to Judith. Hello, Judith. So happy you could join us today. You made my day. I'm so glad you could be with us on this very, very special day. We are celebrating and discussing World Mental Health Day. And I wanted to give you a little bit of background about the day. Um, it's It's been going on for nearly 30 years Um, started in 1992 as an annual activity of the World Federation for Mental Health. Um, And it really has the goal of promoting mental health advocacy and education. And it's been a really, really important day to garner attention and give homage to uh, and, and recognition for the fact that mental health is health. Um, it's part of your holistic health um, and wellness, and it's really, really key. Um, and there's uh, there's been a lot of very interesting um, uh, themes. And, of course, this year, uh, the theme is, of course, how we can go through and, and how we are all surviving together through COVID-19. Um, And the goal of the campaign this year is increased investment in mental health. And I'm really excited about that as well because I'm finding a little bit of statistics on this. Um, It's pretty shocking. Um, According to the press release from the World Health Organization, the United for Global Mental Health, and the World Federation for Mental Health. So those three organizations really now are kind of the groups that spearhead this event. Mental health is one of the most neglected areas of public health. Close to 1 billion people are living with a mental disorder on our planet, and 3 million people die every year from the harmful use of alcohol. One person dies every 40 seconds by suicide, and that statistic just shocked me and broke my heart. So with the pandemic going on, that is having a further impact on people's mental health, and the, the groups are really trying to raise awareness and advocate for their governments to put more funding into it. Um, because in low and middle income countries, more than 75% of people with mental, neurological, or substance use disorders receive no treatment for their conditions. And there's still stigma and discrimination out in our world as well regarding human, uh, regarding uh mental health. So there's a lot of important things that we're doing. Um, Only 2% of health budgets on average are devoted to mental health, and that should be increased because there is data, there's been research done that for every 
$1, and this is in U.S. dollars, invested for mental health. Um, and, and this is for common disorders like depression and anxiety. There's a return of $5 in improved health and productivity. So, you know, if you want to be smart with our money, governments of the world, put money into mental health resources um, because it's going to make things a lot better. So um, there's a lot of cool things going on around it. I'm going to put the link in the chat box about World Mental Health Day. And in fact, after our podcast today, there's a first time ever global online advocacy event that begins at 10 a.m. New York time. So I will just put this link in tons of resources, not just on the day, but on uh, mental health issues. And we really, really um, wanted to highlight that today. And we have one of our very own listeners, Ms. Kenzie, to thank for this. Kenzie, I guess how many, a couple months ago, uh, when, when we were talking about October, uh, Kenzie suggested this theme to us because um, we said, oh, we have a podcast October 10th. And uh, she had suggested, oh, that's meant, you know, that's World Mental Health Day. And then Pam and I thought, what a great theme to discuss because we recognize the value of mental health. And we also know right now in this year of challenge, we're really all in this together. Mm-hmm. And um, we noted, um, we just thought it would be very relevant about having uh, the, the opportunity to talk about this. Um, so SR noted when we told him about this and he am- emailed to the podcast and I have to say, mm-hmm. hi, good morning, Annette. I'm seeing Ellie. Good morning. Good morning, ladies. Miss um, Susie and, and Kelly. Kelly Books. From Syracuse. Hey, Kelly. Good to see you. Um, so we noted and we talked to SR um, through email. Let me clarify that. I don't want to get <laughs> anybody excited. Um, when we reached out and emailed SR about this and about this particular issue, he said, I'm very grateful to you and Pam and to the readers who make up this supportive community. It really is a community of compassionate friends. So... For those who are lonely and alienated and isolated, here is a place to belong and to connect with others. We have a lot of a lot to look forward to with the third part of Gabriel's Inferno airing November 19th. Now is a good time to be part of this community. We couldn't agree more. That's true. And so, Pam, uh, I know SR gave us some more news from the SR world. Yes, he did. Um, he wanted, first of all, he wanted to wish everybody a good weekend and for the Canadians, uh, happy Thanksgiving since Monday is Thanksgiving in Canada. Uh, he also mentioned that Nina's birthday is actually tomorrow or October 12th. That's Monday. Monday. So, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Ms. Nina. Nina. And. and we will- we will be able to tell her that in person, in that, person, or that's true. virtually, um, in a couple weeks. That's uh, true. And she comes to talk to us. And hopefully, by the time that election is over, she'll be in a better, happy mood. <laughs> <laughs> if not, we're all going to be drink, drinking a lot in our coffee that morning. Anyhow, we'll all, we'll all be seeking those mental health resources. Uh, yes, we? we will. We will. Um, the Italian edition of The Shadow is uh, releasing on October 15th from Della Reazione. 
and they uh, we have a link for that website. Yep, I'm putting that in there right now. Okay, and TEA, uh, his other Italian publisher, has released re-released the Gabriel series in Italian, and it's also now available on Amazon, and we have a link for that we'll add. Uh, the Spanish edition of the Gabriel series should be released soon by Planetera Libros under the Book It imprint, and uh, there's a link for that. And mm -hmm. the Russian edition of the Gabriel series is being re-released by Exmo, a Russian publisher. And, I think that's uh, very I, cool. Yeah, and I think Argyle Empire has, a, has a, a link for that. We have, actually, I think we have one too. I'm going to put that in. Okay. And so, yes, and so, I have to I have to say I saw Karen joins the chat room as well as Annette. So, hello, hello, KK, hello. and I'm glad you're with us, Annette. I'm glad, glad the storm dodged uh, you. you weathered the storm, so dodged the bullet, so to Do speak. Yes, yes, because I understand. I understand it was going over the same path as the Hurricane Laura, mm -hmm, and which is uh, terrible. Yeah, so that's mm -hmm. that's very tough. Um, and Annabelle noted that she thinks Claudia has purchased the book series in Italian, which is very exciting. Oh, that would be and great. Betty says, Willie speaking Italian just wow. I wish there was an audiobook for the Florentine series. <laughs> uh, wouldn't that be delightful? Wouldn't that be cool? That would be very mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. <sighs> so we asked SR, um, why did you choose to address these themes in your books in terms of SR, as you know, really tackles a lot of really compelling subjects. And we were curious about, um, you know, even from the very beginning of Gabriel's Inferno, when we see Gabriel dealing with grief of the, the passing of grace, um, you know, we wanted to see why did he choose to address these themes and also, did the themes emerge as he wrote, or if he had them in the in his mind from the beginning and wanted to pursue these themes in his his work? So SR said, usually the themes emerge with the characters from the very beginning. But I think it's important as a writer to be socially responsible in my writing. I try not to glorify bad behavior and to praise good things. I try to create realistic characters. And that means that they should have much in common with my readers. And I think, um, again, I think that's why so many of us are drawn to his work. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually going to put that in the chat box because I just think that's so important yeah. and compelling. Um, and yeah. so we, we thought that, you know, there are so many characters that have been through traumas, through mental health. And that's why we decided to explore um, some of their challenges today during... Mm -hmm. Um, during World Mental Health Day. And the first topic we wanted to discuss was addiction. Addiction. And the, uh, the definition for addiction is the fact or condition of being addicted to a particular substance, thing, or activity. He committed the, in other words, like in, he committed the theft, finances, drug addiction. Mm -hmm. um, we think addiction as either alcoholism or drug addiction because they, they, they're somewhat of an interaction between those things because people tend to self-medicate when they're not seeking med, you know, mental health help. 
Exactly. Which, yeah. And also other things can be addictive, such as tobacco and sex and shopping. And there's a whole list of things that can. Right. Exercise, anything. Yeah. You can and kind of get addictive behavior. Absolutely. I, I do have a cousin who is totally addicted to exercise and including when she blew out her knee and kept running. Um, ooh, yeah. Ooh. Uh, but it, no, but addiction includes excessive use of, of, of things that will damage your relationships, your jobs and other parts of your normal life. You know, we found in Gabriel's life, there was a drug of his drug of choice was cocaine. And to a certain point it was sex. You know, you think about him going into lobby and having, you know, faceless people, uh, having right. sex in their bathrooms and whatever. Uh, so in my in my very uneducated opinion, I think a lot of his issues part it tended to go with his self esteem, because he really didn't have much of anything. Being abandoned by his birth father and his birth mother passing away, right? And he was only like eight or nine at the time when that all this happened. Um, then later on, he loses Maya, and he feels that he is responsible for what happened with Paulina and the pregnancy, and not being there because he was, if you remember, from Rapture, and he he was in a, a drug case. Right, and and I'm looking at the chat room. Um, Ellie noted addiction often is used to self medicate and numb the pain of mental health related mm -hmm. difficulties, and. Um, you know, Betty had noted the boss, the, the boss's mind works in mysterious ways and they truly capture our attention because the themes are so relatable. Mm -hmm. And that said, his honesty and realism make him different from other writers, which is really, really true. And um, Betty noted she kinds of wishes she was a little addicted to working out. She would probably be happy working out instead mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. uh, talking myself throughout the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, yeah, well they, 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 that would be a good thing. But in any event, <laughs> yeah. too much of a good thing can be bad, too. So, But, we, you know, we've realized everything that um, Gabriel has gone through uh, to get to where he is when he finally opens up to Julia about his issues. Um, so one of the many things is that many addicts also suffer from psychological and social sociological disorders. Um, depression and anxiety are part of that. Uh, agoraphobia, that kind of stuff. And so, again, self-medicating uh, with their drug of choice. And, you know, the thing is, the treatment for any kind of an addiction is usually not just one-to-one -one on one mental health, but a lot, especially with substance abuse, people go into a rehab. And the, the thing that, in, that you have to realize with rehabilitation is that they have to want it. And they have to agree to go for it. They, they're the ones, um, and, and this from my own experiences in life of, of family and friends, they've had to call the addiction, the rehab, and say, I want to be there. And then they, they go in, and then they're gone for like 28 days. And it's very in, intense therapy. They're in, they're in group meetings all the time. Uh, they have mindfulness classes, uh, some some places have yoga. I know of one place in Connecticut where they actually have a uh, uh, a sweat box, you know. So when like the American Indians, they go into there mm -hmm. and sweat sweat out and stuff. Um, so once their twenty eight days is done, it's always advisable that they can go out and get outpatient uh, 
counseling through either rehab or one-on-one -on -one counseling. And that just helps the, from relapsing because it's that can be a problem as well. Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. and I'm seeing in the chat room, and, and, I, and there's so many people who have been affected by addiction, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I can see Judith was very open and shared after her uh, job loss, she really went to a, a really challenging place. And she said she wasn't drug addicted, but medication because she thought she could fix everything for her students. Mm -hmm. And with help, she's fine today, but not the same person she was before her breakdown. And Annette noted that her best friend's son was just put into rehab for drug addiction. Uh, KK said she was addicted to work, and it's been very hard being hurt now mm -hmm. because she was used to that. Um, KK had noted she lost a friend from college to drug addiction. Um, and Ellie had mentioned that she's been waiting for Maya to be ready, and finally some peers encouraged her to seek help, and that therapy has helped them. So it's so, so very important. And, and I'm everybody who's gone through it, I, I think some of you know that I've supported family members through addictions and are still supporting them um, through addictions. It's 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 remarkable journey. Um, and I've had friends who's, um, in fact, a lot of times people who've, who've gone through it. Um, in fact, my neighbor's grandchildren had serious addiction issues and now have done something positive and have uh, opened their own center and it's flourishing in Florida. Um, I think it's the probably the third or fourth ranked uh, addiction recovery center in Florida. And, yeah. you know, it's turning that pain that they went through to something positive. So it's mm -hmm. really, really um it's really, really important. And it's really important that we're talking about these issues. So many it times it's always been pushed under. And um, I think it's uh, important that we have these discussions and people know this is all part of, of the human experience. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, you know, and, and one of the reasons uh, so, or sometimes addiction, as I think you might have noted, Pam, um, comes, it's, it's, it's called a co, uh, codependency, code, code, well, co-diagnosis, I think, right. uh, dual diagnosis. That's the word I was looking for mm. before Jean Ann types it, since I know she's in, in the field of <laughs> the medical field. Um, so a lot of times addiction is, uh, diagnosed with other types of mental health conditions. Um, one could be depression and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, next, um, everyone feels sad or low sometimes, but those feelings usually pass with time and, uh, clinical depression is a mood disorder that causes distressing symptoms about how you feel, think, or handle daily activities such as sleeping, eating, or working, um, to be diagnosed with depression, symptoms must be present most of the day, nearly every day for two weeks. And there are very different types of depression, major depression, having symptoms every day for at least two weeks, persistent depressive disorder um, lasts at least two years. So there could be major bouts of depression during that time. Um, perinatal depression is during pregnancy or after, and then Pam's going to be talking about that in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Seasonal defect, affective disorder, which um, we are heading into in the Northern Hemisphere um, in terms of 
coming and going with the seasons, starting late fall, early winter. Um, a lot of it has to do with daylight. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a very, I have many people in my life who've been affected with seasonal affective disorder. And then psychotic depression, which is really a more severe form of different um, mental conditions. So, you know, and it happens, it can, can occur with other uh, other conditions, other diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times people are treated um, with for depression when they're dealing with major illnesses like right. cancer. Right. Um, and, and, and you uh, will find if you're, if you're going with people that they will, the physicians will always ask, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you, have you been feeling sad? You know, just trying to, to assess if, if depression is part of their, um, diagnosis. Diagnosis. I'm noticing in the chat room, you know, Ellie's talking about how she, they need to find a therapist and, you know, with everything that your area is going through, not just with the pandemic, but with the with the fires and everything, I can I'm I'm sure that it's probably gone up quite a bit in mm-hmm. the, in that need. Uh, Judith is pointing to her late brother-in-law with a serious drinking problem, as is Annabelle, and I can tell you from my own personal experience, my father was an alcoholic, and uh, he found AA, and when he went into AA, he got very involved with them. Uh, to the point where he became a drug and alcohol counselor. And he worked with the Salvation Army uh, up until about a year before he died uh, with drug and alcoholics, drug addicts and alcoholics. And it, it was a fantastic program. And he was always so happy when when he could, when there were people that he would meet later at meetings or whatever that he was speaking, um, a fellow you know, people that had been in his program afterwards, and you know, were still going to AA all the time and getting stronger. So it's, um, I, you know, I know that uh, my own, my son has, has dealt with alcoholism. He's also dealing with drug addiction now. Uh, whether he's actually physically dealing with it or just, you know. In the midst of it. In the midst of it. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard. It's tough. Um, I'm very fortunate there are programs like Al-Anon and Narconon, which which the non-drinker, the non-addict can go through because you too need the, the help. You, you need the support. And that's one of the great things about those programs is that they do through, you know, do help you and they do support you along the way. Uh, it's true. 12 step programs. It's so programs. true. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also seeing some of the other comments in the chat room um, that Annabelle had noted that, unfortunately, the general attitude towards people with addiction is negative, where mm-hmm. actually we should be mm-hmm. mindful that the addiction is a manifestation of something that's happened to that person that they're unable to cope with often. And Anna, um, Anna is our expert, resident expert in our chat room today. Um, this is her field. Mm-hmm. She's a licensed social worker. Child and family is her specialty. And she says at least 75% of her clients have mental health and or drug and alcohol issues. Inpatient is for, now is for stabilization. And then they go to community-based treatment. Virtual therapy just doesn't cut it. Mm-hmm. Face-to-face in person is crucial and involving family support should occur as well. And I, I, can, I can attest to that. And Anna, thank you for working on this in this very important career. Um, as Judith says, the world needs to stop stigmatizing mental health. And 
um, it's very true. I can support. I'm very proud. My I, my cousin who is is living with us is in recovery, and I've been with her on her journey, and it's incredible. But um, and in fact, I, ironically, it was three years today that she was in um, detox. Mm-hmm. So it and and I, I that the date just struck me. I, I didn't realize it, but it, it's been three years. Yeah. And from detox to as as you say, a very very aggressive in person or um, outpatient therapy after being inpatient for 28 days and mm-hmm. going to meetings. And for her, um, Narcotics Anonymous has been very useful. So definitely definitely good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just something that's so important and I'm, I'm very happy that we're able to talk about it. Flora is saying there are also addictions that are not very acknowledged like social media, compulsive buying, OCD, mobile dependent, et cetera. Definitely. There's and many types of addiction. Gambling mm-hmm. is another one. Um, and as Judith noted, a lot of people have this stigma around mental health and mental illness is not about being weak. And that's true. It's, it's, you know, it, it should be the same approach as if you're physically ill and have a cold, you know, it's, it needs to be addressed in the, with the Absolutely. same seriousness of it. And, and Absolutely. Annette's noting the pandemic has been hard on her family. The, her husband suffers with bouts of severe depression. I don't really talk about it, but there were days that I wasn't sure what, was waiting for me when I would get home. And, and it's, it's very, very true. I mean, we mm-hmm. are in a very um, challenging time. And I think that's why it's this community and this discussion is so important. And I'm um, really sorry to hear about that. Um, and I, I think, you know, and Ellie's making a good point as well with the floor noting of the social media addictions and she says you have to be able to filter the media and find your tribe. This community Absolutely. for the most part does that. Um, and there are ups and downs along the way. And of course there are. And just sending hugs out to all of you guys. This is this has been such a good discussion so far. And I know we have a lot to go. Um, so in the book, in terms of the depression, many, many characters. Um, and not just in the Gabriel series, but in others. Um have struggled with depression. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Gabriel, we've talked about, um, and Julia had d- different bouts of uh, depression um, through her time. Paulina, obviously, with the mm-hmm. loss of Maya, um, really had um, that period of darkness where she also turned to um, addictive behavior. Um, Raven having uh depression after dealing with some of her traumas. And then Mm -hmm. Rachel, of course, um, falling into depression when she wasn't able to uh, conceive. Um, And that is, you know, these are real issues. And that's why I think um, these characters are so loved because they are real. Mm -hmm. Um, They really um, kind of reflect the human experience. Absolutely. I am going to uh, put in the chat box some of the symptoms of depression. Okay. And just so people know that. And I know Pam is going to uh, talk a little bit now about about, postpartum depression. Yes. You know, I, I think anybody who's had a baby has had a point where 
after you you know you're either in the hospital or just getting home and you you like all of a sudden like burst into tears or you know you have these all kinds of weird emotions going through you and some people call that the baby blues and they they can last a couple of weeks especially after just after giving birth but you know they they'll include like mood swings and crying spells anxiety sadness feeling overwhelmed. I mean, who doesn't, who didn't feel overwhelmed when they first brought a baby home with everything that was going on and you're up all hours of the night trying to feed and do whatever. Um, but there's also a reduced concentration. Sometimes there's appetite problems you don't want to eat or, you ha or you're eating too much. Uh, there's irritability and difficult. And, you know, there, if it lasts longer than a couple of weeks, then it's always good to call your doctor and discuss it with them because it, it can be long lasting. There are some people who have never been treated that have, you know, gone on for years, basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just, just remember, it's not a character flaw. It's not a weakness. There are a lot of women that come home who are not in love with their babies when they come home. And that's just all part of the, of this baby blues or postpartum depression. Um, and if after a really long time, you can also uh, develop psychotic uh, problems with, with postpartum. And that can be a, a, a more serious because they are, then you really do need to be able to have, hopefully have a supportive person with you that will help you get the mental health you need during those times because, you know, that can be serious in, in as far as the baby's health, that, you know, a lot of times uh, women in that part of the, of it will, you know, just ab basically abandon their babies uh, as far as, you know, not being able to deal with them. So, and yeah. go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just saying it's, it's, it's true. And, and, I think people can relate um, to either going through this or mm -hmm. having um, knowing loved ones who've gone through it. I remember having a friend call me, and he, actually, he was taught he's one of my husband's best friends, and he called after his sister had a baby, and he was really concerned because he said she's not, she doesn't seem right. She's acting really abnormal, and um, I she's just not herself, and I'm worried. And I had said have him make sure that she gets to her doctor because she's probably going through postpartum depression and it's mm -hmm. very normal, but they need to be able to work with her to give her the support. Um, and it, it, indeed it was, and they, it really helped her. Um, and, but again, talking about it makes a lot of difference. Absolutely. Um, and it's, um, and, and I am seeing some things in the chat room. Um, I'm sure Annabelle said, I'm sure with the Ravel baby, you want everything to be perfect. So you mm -hmm. have some, you know, some pressure on yourself as well. Judith said she had some baby blues with her second son. KK had noticed you can go through it when you have a, um, you have our <laughs> halftime show. Um, um, dermoid removed. Um, I'm, uh, there, I know what I'm trying to remember the word, Karen. Um, she said it was very scary when she was 23. It hit when she was in the hospital and had to be in the maternity ward. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
yeah, there's, there's a lot, a, a lot that you go through. Um, and Franca, good morning, good afternoon, I should say. I see that you joined us. And she mm-hmm. said with, around regarding her depression, she had about in the early 80s. And the only thing that helped her was being strong enough to ask for help, not from a family member, but from a professional. The family may be sympathetic, but you need someone who is neutral and won't take sides. And that's an excellent point. Uh, Lori raised the point about never really thinking about it before. Um, the, the true responsibility of writers. She said it makes SR even more admirable that he is so mindful of the characters and his readers. And that's, <laughs> that is true. Everyone's ha- sending Christmas greetings now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Friends and family do, do make uh, things a lot can make things a lot better if they're understanding or they could that's make true. it a little more stressful if they're not. Any kind of a support network is important, as Annabelle notes, and mm-hmm. I think that is true. I think I think this community is a support network. I know it is for me, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's been very important going through things. So I will um, post the postpartum depression signs in the chat as well okay. as okay. we move into our next discussion of- on anxiety, mm-hmm. which is often linked with uh, depression. Um, and anxiety is, is a part of life. Um, but people with anxiety orders disorders frequently have intense, excessive and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. And sometimes feelings of intense anxiety reach a peak within minutes. And uh, I know, uh, my daughter has anxiety, so I can understand this, um, very well. They could get panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, that can almost overwhelm you and, uh, take control. Uh, things get out of, out of, uh, balance, you know, and, um, sometimes people have to avoid places or situations to prevent these feelings and triggers. Um, so anxiety is something that we have. Um, and there's a variety of types of disorders through, um, being social fear of places or people and social anxiety, um, or separation anxiety disorder. So it's many, many characters experience anxiety. Um, again, that SR writes about, and I think mm-hmm. probably the most, I would say probably Acacia and Raven. Um, yeah, and, seem- and then they seem to have um, have had to grapple with anxiety all for very good reasons. And then even Julia, obviously post, um, Simon, mm-hmm. especially, um, after his attack, yeah, after his attack. So it's, again, I think the way SR writes uh, these characters is really, really important. Um, cause I think he, he has it with a, um, he has the right approach and, and is very um, important to be able to share that uh, perspective. And mm-hmm. I think it's good. And, um, and, the, and, and, you know, it affects people differently so many ways. I mean, I, I know for uh, two family members that I have cannot cross drive across bridges because mm-hmm. they start going through that. Um, I have one family member who ended up in the hospital thinking they were having a heart attack because of anxiety. 
and it wasn't it wasn't hard yeah it is a very real thing and Mm -hmm. you know i especially with my one my one cousin who has this will drive out of her way so she doesn't have to cross bridges um yeah for hundreds of miles sometimes uh she you know you 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 don't realize that that that's that's a real thing and it is a real thing for her mm-hmm. and so it's, it's sadly it's not recognized too much right and that's another one that has the stigma um attached to it sometimes mm-hmm. and unnecessarily so um it's real to the person and then you have it that but it's important for people struggling with anxiety to seek help because there are ways there are um, ways that you can address it there are ways Mm -hmm. you can actually um, uh, conquer that Um, in some instances other ways um, you just learn how to cope different coping mechanisms Um, so but I do know there are some therapies that can get you to get overcome uh, things that are making you anxious, um, you know, it, you have to find what works best for you. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, Lori noted anxiety is a huge problem right now. Mm-hmm. And Judith saying she still can't drive over bridges. And it actually took her about five months to go out of the house to bring in the mail. She was having that much anxiety and so sorry about that. Yeah. Um, Judith and, Annabelle sharing that she had anxiety some years ago and would mm-hmm. suffer panic attacks. Um, and she said, Pam, I thought I was having a heart attack when I was driving. Um, she had to move back in with her parents. She couldn't mm-hmm. be left alone. It was that over, that was that um, um, consuming. And um, she said, but I had counseling, took medication for a while, and I got back to a new normal. I still have days where I can feel on edge, but I know it will pass. And well, thank you for sharing that, Annabelle. Yeah. That's it's it's a compelling story to know that you went through that journey, and I'm so glad that you've been able um, to work with the counselor and get the help you needed. Um, so, just sending you hugs for that because that's a that's a long journey. Yeah, I I can from my in my son. Um, when when he first started going through any of his treatments, anxiety was a huge issue for him. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, my 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 husband passed away when my son was sixteen and there was a lot of issues after that that come along with that. But um he, understandable. Uh, he um what when he was he learned through uh counseling on how to control his anxiety. So now, many years later, now that, you know, he, he has these tools that he can focus on so that he can lessen the strength, the anxiety that he may come into. And he doesn't talk about it much uh, with me, because God forbid he should talk to his mother about anything. But um, he uh, but he has mentioned it, and he does speak about it, so... Well, and, and Annabelle had said she was glad to share. She said, I always thought I was a strong person who adapted to change. And I think that's another really important point, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes back to that stigma that uh, mental uh, uh, mental condition is weakness. And 
um, that's not necessarily true. That's mm-hmm. not the case. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it's an illness and it's, it's with counseling, with, with treatment, you can, um, you can recover. Mm-hmm. Um, Judith noted she had counseling and medications and that helped. And Franca had noted my first panic attack frightened me and I thought I was dying. Mm-hmm. But after seeking help, reading up and practicing how to breathe and calm myself down, I hadn't had, I've not had a panic attack in over 20 years. That's wonderful. So that is really great. And, um, Annabelle noted that that was very encouraging, Franca. And again, thank you for sharing. Um, Annabelle notes, the mind has a habit of not letting you ignore things as it will manifest in a physical way. And mm-hmm. that happens. And, um, Anna noted, and I'm glad you put this in there. Um, her only criticism of the book is the lack of counseling for young Gabriel, um, at the adoption, uh, trauma and at the adoption trauma and grief attachment and bonding therapy would have avoided many of his later issues that adoption was not how it's done there's a six-month residency prior to finalization Mm -hmm. and the adoption caseworkers have recognized the lack of attachment um you know i i'm glad i know you brought that up um when when I was a lot younger, I think I was uh, probably in my late 30s, early 40s, I have had I had a cousin who had a child with a woman who all of a sudden found religion. And the girl was about 10 years old, my, my cousin's daughter. She's also, so she would be my cousin too, actually. Um, who, she got kicked, basically got kicked out of her house. And uh, because she was a quote-unquote child of an unholy union, I don't know what, but I mean, obviously this caused severe trauma to the the girl. And I can remember my husband and I, at the time, got very upset with this because she's, you know, this young girl, she doesn't have a home, you know, she's, you know, what is she going to do? My, her grandmother really couldn't have her live with them, and it, it was just, it was a lot. So my husband and I decided we would approach my cousin to see if we could adopt her and bring her into the family, uh, our family unit. So in our research and in of all of this, we found that there would be counseling, not just for Brianna, but there would also have been counseling for my son, for my husband, for me. Um, and so that we could all integrate as a family and, and merge. But the only thing that stopped the um, adoption on my end was that my cousin decided that he did not want to give up his rights to her. So mm. uh, she, which made it very difficult for a lot of people, not just for Brianna, who, who is now a very healthy adult and a mother of two children. But, uh, you know, even... His her family, you know, her her mother was she. The, the, this young girl got pregnant at thirteen. A child was put up for adoption. She had uh, she she's on her third husband, I think, right now. And but they've been married for about ten years. Um, it, uh, she was a, she was a stripper for a while in Florida. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's all this kind of stuff that goes along in the background, and I, I am, I'm just very sorry that my cousin couldn't see that my husband and I were trying to help her and trying to bring her into a, a, a family unit that would would have loved her and cherished her as much as as much as she should be. So, anyway. It's true, and and I as I, as we're talking about this, I do want to welcome Tatiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, good afternoon. I'm glad you could join us. Um, and I I have there's been so much discussion on the chat room. I, I think um, so many really compelling stories. I'm again, thank you for sharing so much with us. Um, you know, I, and as I'm reading, uh, Franca had noted uh, to Annabelle. Um, that the first lesson that she learned was to stop letting people trample all over her. Um, she comes from a very peaceful mm-hmm. family and hated any type of confrontation, but she started learning to stand up for herself and she doesn't let anyone take advantage of her anymore. So that was one way for her to mm-hmm. um, help. Um, and there, I, there have been several people noted about car accidents, and I, I might share some of those stories when we talk about PTSD, which is mm-hmm. next. And um, there's been so many other good stories. Um, Kenzie had noted, I don't talk about these things online, but since March, she's been living with an alcoholic parent. Mm-hmm. It has not been easy on top of her struggles and she's had with the, since she's had struggles with depression for 10 years. Her anxiety has been horrible, and and by the way, Kenzie, that uh, the mid-teens is often when uh, depression starts. That's one of the things mm-hmm. I have seen. Um, so her anxiety has been horrible lately, and she was really grateful that she has Pam, Leslie, SR, and all of you, and these novels that bring her so much comfort and joy. She says, "I was alone for a really long time, and my family didn't believe me. So I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have this." I have a toxic relationship with myself where I feel comfortable staying in the dark because it is what I know and happiness is so fleeting, but I'm still learning and finding my way day by day. And Kenzie got a lot of love for her sharing her stories. Mm-hmm. Franca saying, Kenzie, you're never alone in this group. If you Absolutely ever need to chat, not. you know, we are all here for you anytime, day or night. Everyone's sending you hugs I, I, more than I'm going to read right now since we have a lot to cover. Um, but Annabelle did note, Kenzie, you've been so brave in sharing this with us. What a lot you have to deal with. Yes, this community is a godsend, and I, too, take comfort um, from you all and these books that bring me so much happiness. I'm sending you giant virtual hugs right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, we all are. So many, so many. Um, so many people do care, so you just got to keep that in mind. Um, and there are people you can reach out for. As Jean-Anne says, you aren't alone anymore, Kenzie. We are always mm-hmm. here for you, whatever you need, whenever you need it. And Judith says, hugs and love, ma petite Leoness. Right. So as we discussed, um, a lot of the characters also have anxiety. And um, another condition that is, is highlighted um, and also is often uh, comes with some of these other uh, diagnoses is post-traumatic stress disorder. And according to the Mayo Clinic, um, PTSD um, is a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event, either experiencing it or witnessing it. 
Uh, symptoms may include flashbacks, nightmares, and severe anxiety, as well as uncontrollable thoughts about the event. And most people who go through traumatic events may have temporary dis- difficulty adjusting and coping, but with time and good self-care, they usually get better. But if these symptoms get worse, last for months or even years, and interfere with your day-to-day functioning, you may actually have PTSD and Getting effective treatment after PTSD symptoms develop can be critical to reducing symptoms and improving function. And um, obviously, uh, a lot has been highlighted about people in war having PTSD mm-hmm. or PTS. I've also heard they're starting to get drop the D in the disorder and just call it post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, But uh, it is suggested that people um, see a doctor when the symptoms last for more than a month Mm -hmm. are severe or if you're really having trouble, if it's really affecting your life. Um, And it's it's, it's critical. And, and, And when I think of PTSD in the books, the first person I think of is Acacia because of what she went through. Yes. Um. You know, there's so many, so many compelling uh, stories of that, um, you know, how she, you know, and, 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 and of course, her when she got medical help, that was the, the other discussion was, have, mm-hmm. you know, we want you to talk to a counselor, talk to somebody um, about this, uh, because she would have that fear of someone coming after her. And, and she had that fear throughout her life because of what she went through as a child. Yeah. It was ingrained in her basically uh, Mm -hmm. from her childhood. Absolutely. Nicholas, of course, was affected by his sister's murder. Um, Gabriel and Julia from their childhoods and Julia again from her uh, and, and Gabriel also from the loss of Maya Julia from that horrible attack by Simon. Um, and William and Raven uh, have all suffered PTSD for different reasons to a, a certain mm-hmm. extent. Um, and as Ellie noted, PTSD can be lifelong. It is part of her sister's mental illness. Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. It, it, it can be. It can be. And as I, I noted, um, we had some people in the chat room um, talking about uh, some of their struggles, uh, car accident. Um, KK had a car accident when she was 16. If it wasn't for her brother, who's also a passenger, she would never have gotten back in a car. Um, Ashley noting, I definitely had PTSD. Um, I was emotional, verbal and physical abuse from her stepbrother and she had nightmares for months. She had um, going past where where she where this had happened, um, and the last two weeks during the Ember Zooms with Julie and Simon and Julia and Tom really hit home for her um, because they obviously that probably was very triggering for you, Ashley. Probably. Um, and uh, it hit home, but the ladies on the Ember Zoom and you ladies here um, help and comfort me. And uh, Kenzie noted she's so grateful SR included mental health to be such a big part of his novels. Um, it's so important. And 
there's, um, there's just so much, um, that can happen. Uh, Betty says, Acacia wasn't entirely wrong. She was chased, but the stress from her childhood also affected her. And that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, Karen's talking about another triggering instance. She had, she had many different circumstances. She lost her ability to play her flute or read music mm-hmm. after she had been playing since she was eight. She never told anyone this in 1984 and not much was known or talked about. Then in college, she had a stalker. And then another traumatic thing that happened to her is she walked in on, and she shared this on the Amazon last week. She walked in on her boyfriend and one of her roommates. So can you imagine reading that scene? That had, that had to be very hard on you, With Karen. Julia and Simon and walking in. Can you imagine reading that, having lived through that, Karen? I just don't know how you did that. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, Judith noted PTSD is a struggle and for those suffering is not always easy to accept it and to talk. She meant to talk about it. Um, Jean Ann says as a nine 11 family, September is hard when it is all over the news and the ceremonies, etc. It's a hard time. It is People a very mean hard well, time, but it's a reliving of every emotion that day. Um, and I'm sorry, I just lost it. Yeah, I'm um, sorry, Jeanne. I know what that's like. Yeah, uh, it's it's it is reliving it just like it was yesterday. Yes. Um, and that's yes. You know, there are all types of traumas, right? Mm-hmm. And there are. Um, some mm-hmm. can be stronger. Yeah, um, and I have a I have a, a former coworker whose husband was a Vietnam vet, and his PTSD was. Uh, sometimes over the roof, you know, it was just, she would come into work and look very dragged and ragged because she'd been up all night because of his nightmares and he was getting help for them. But a lot of times, especially in the military, a lot of the, um, a lot of it's pushed aside, which is a sad, sad thing. But a lot of the VA had, has a lot of those issues. And I know when my my neighbor Phil, when I take him to the VA because he gets his hearing aids through there, they the 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 room as you walk in the lobby is always full of uh, Vietnam vets who have or or even now Afghanistan Iraqi war vets who uh, mm-hmm. uh, are suffering and it's very, it's sometimes very hard to see, very hard to see, and I can I can remember recall a conversation I had with my father many years ago when we were talking about his counseling work and I asked him how he dealt with uh, some of the uh, vets from Vietnam at the time because my father could relate a little bit. My father was in the Philippines during World War II and the flash that uh, that was used a lot in uh, Vietnam was starting to be used in the Philippines at the time. So. Mm-hmm. He he could relate to that part of it, but he couldn't relate to all of it because it, it was not, what they saw was a lot different than what he saw. So it was, he said it was very hard for him to try to work with patients like that. So. It's, it's, it is, it's a lot. And, and mm-hmm. as we noted, SR's, SR really reflects a lot of these type of traumatic situations mm-hmm. throughout many of his characters. And, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, the, the other piece that I think I mentioned, um, William, but I, I don't think I talked specifically about him dealing with his, the brutal assault from the Roman, um, when he had, when he turned, right. And mm -hmm. that whole turning episode in William's, um, existence obviously affected him. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it was, you know, compelling, but in the Florentine series too, I think Raven is the one who's, um, really had a lot of, uh, overwhelming and consuming feelings of, of, of pain really mm -hmm. that, that lingered for years because of that, her early years and the assault on her sister by her stepfather and getting pushed down the stairs. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, um, we have such a good community here. We do. Um, I, I, KK noted, um, cause everybody's sharing so much. KK noted she lost her high school, um, friend. He was, um, her soulmate and he was shot at a family picnic and they were putting up a, he's, he's probably, they were putting up a volleyball net and the neighbor had a flashback from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't remember the scenario, KK, but I knew, I knew what happened, but that's right. The Vietnam net had a flashback mm -hmm. and he ended up shooting this young man. And, um, 36 years, she said, it's, it's so still hard. very hard. And, um, Ellie noted me too can stand for more than at work sexual power struggles, traumatic events of all sorts, verbal, sexual, physical abuse, neglect. We are a me too generation and we have to keep talking about it, mm -hmm. healing from it, believing it and seeking help. Um, and Floor noted that Pam, yes, Pam, veterans struggle a lot with PTS. I had a teacher who also mm -hmm. was a Vietnam vet and even hearing a helicopter triggered him. I'm certain and I'm certified in EAGALA, a new type of therapy done through horses, and I've seen amazing results for PTS. Yes, I've read about that floor. Um, I've read about the, that the too. Horse, the horse therapy, and I think that's fantastic that you're able to help people with that. And Judith noted, being a hermit, I think SR has knowledge about these things. You know, he's yes. admitted to to struggle with the anxiety, especially now with everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it happens. You know. It definitely happens. Um, and and it's it's real. And, and I work with a service disabled veteran. Um, and he noted, especially when for a couple of years after he came back from Iraq and the Middle East um, theaters, uh, loud noises. He would just jump and, you know, um, it would, it would actually trigger him, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, put him in that mindset. Uh, and it, it took a while to work through that. Mm -hmm. Um, Franco shared that her father-in-law was a POW in Japan for four years and was never able to talk about the terrible things they saw and went through. And yet he went on to live a happy, fulfilling life through his devoted faith. He was Catholic and went to mass every day. And she said that must have been his therapy, I guess. And I think that's true. I think people mm -hmm. find comfort and strength through faith. 
And I think that is another, another way, um, that people can get through very challenging times. Um, especially I think periods of grief, which is mm-hmm. what Pam is going to talk about next. And we, we do, we do recognize, by the way, guys, this is going to be a longer show. I should have said that up front. Um, we're, I think we've done a good job at moving it along, but there's yes. so much to share and, and we don't want to shortchange it. So if you have to go on to another activity, um, you can always hear us on the, the podcast broadcast. Right. Okay. Um, so grief, um, this is something I know a lot about. Uh, as many of you know, I lost my husband when he was, when I was 45 years old. Uh, that was 20 years ago. Um, and I can honestly say from the very beginning, it was very hard for me to recognize what was going on. The seven uh, stages of grief are shock and denial. And the, it's a disbelief in the numb feeling. And I can, you know, when when people would ask me how I was doing, I would just say I'm numb because I was. I, I just didn't know how to react. Uh, pain and guilt. Uh, you go through that because you're the pain of, of losing that person or persons that you care so greatly about, uh, and guilt because could have, what could I have done? Could I have done more? And anger and, and bargaining. You're very angry that you're angry at the person who died. You uh, are angry at the world around you. Uh, it could be an anger towards anything. And there's bargaining, and you know you bargain with God. Please, God, if you get me through this, if you let me have this, or if you, if you help me with that, you know, so there's, I can change. You know, I'll do this or I'll do that. So there's the bargaining. There's depression, and you know, as we talked about with depression, it, it takes its form in many ways. For me, um, dep- uh, going through that, it was shopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you know, for a couple of months after my husband passed away, every weekend I was in Morden Taylor's. Oh, look what I just got! And guess what? It was on sale. Now I didn't get crazy with it, thank God. But I, you know, it did become sort of an obsession for me because I was never really a big shopper, to be honest. With you. Right. Um. Then there's the upward turn. There's things all of a sudden start getting better for you. You you start. Your life starts becoming where you can go out and have fun with friends. You can enjoy laughing. You can look back at, at photographs or, or things that uh, of the people that you've lost and feel, oh, that was such a great time. I'm so glad we had we could share that. And you, you know, and then you meet other people, and there's other people involved in your life, and and they, you know, you're happy to be with them. Um, there's the reconstruction and working through it. Again, you mm-hmm. you're, you do have to rebuild your life a little bit afterwards, after like the death of a spouse in my case. Um, yes. And I've, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, and but you do. And as I've said, I've said to SR a few times when he's talked about grief on Twitter, it's not so much that you forget the person or you push them aside, you move forward is my thing. You don't move on, you move forward. That person is still part of your life, you're still there with them, and then you move on to your next Yes, um, absolutely. And and I'm noting Annabelle was thanking and sending love and hugs to everyone on what's been a very open and honest podcast. She is heading 
out right now. Okay. Thanks for joining, Annabelle, and thank you for sharing with us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then there's acceptance and hope. You you know, like all of a sudden, it, there's a hopefulness. And the one thing you can't push with grief is is the person who's going through it has to do it in their own time. It's not something you can just say snap out of it. It just doesn't work that way. Um, I can honestly tell you that the, the moment I felt that I could really let go and feel really good about what was going on around my life, I was sitting in a movie theater with my granddaughter and we were watching Beauty and the Beast in the movie theater, the, the live action Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. And there was something that was said in, in the dialogue that all of a sudden it was like, wow. It's okay. I'm going to be fine. I can go on. And it was it was the most fulfilling thing. I mean, there was such joy that I felt around me. And, at that and point. was it freeing? I would think it felt very freeing free as well. Very, very freeing. Mm-hmm. So, again, it, it, it everybody goes through it differently and on their own time. The, there, there are basically 12 steps to the grief process and now it's a recovery from the loved one's death that it's universal and grief mm-hmm. and grieving is distinctive to that person. So um, true. The shock, so true. Uh, the shock that goes into mourning, the depression that you can typically go through and, you know, you can reach out to a doctor for that with help too, whether it be uh, mental health. Uh, sometimes some mental health counselors will, put you on prescription pain or prescription um, antidepressants, which, which are, should, you know, they, they might be only temporary or not. And then um, there's also the talk therapy. And, and the great thing, uh, one of the great things about hospice programs is that they have a bereavement groups that you can go and talk and, and, you know, know that you're, you're connected with other people who are going through the same things as you. Um, uh, it can be hazardous to your health. A lot of, a lot of people will start yeah. heavily drinking. Yeah. You know, or to start doing drugs, what, you know, or doing some sort of uh, self-harming activity, whether, you know, whether it be mindless sex with people, that I've, I've known that happen with people. Um, yes. Whatever. Well, and I, and I also I wanted to say bye to Kelly. She is going to, uh, she said, um, she's sorry she had to leave early. Uh, today is the day that her reveal party is for the gender of her brother and um, her brother's sister-in-law's twins. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one knows it's twins except she does. So it's a double reveal. I know she's been helping them plan it. So enjoy. Enjoy. And that, what a nice little Kelly. happy news for that. And I'm trying to see, do you guys also hear some interference? I didn't know if it was on my mic end or not. I'm hearing some. You're very clear, Pam, but sometimes there's some other... Uh, I'm coming through, and I can't figure it out. I'm not hearing anything on my end. Okay, hopefully, maybe it's just on my end. So I hope. Um, No, the stages of grief, you know, and these, it's just it's it is an overwhelming process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And 
continue on with the steps. Right. Uh, they, you, uh, you have, grievers have to know that what they're going through is a normal process. Uh, you know, it, it you you do panic. You don't know what's coming up in your life afterwards, and so there is a certain amount of that. But that's normal, um, and that you know we do suffer guilt feelings about about certain things, and it can make us very angry. And you know we can lash out. We can lash out at those that we love the most. Uh, there's uh, upheaval of emotional upheavals uh, at at that time. Uh, the variety of the feelings that can seem overwhelming. And a griever often lacks direction and purpose. I mean, you know, I can remember trying to go back to work afterwards, mm -hmm. and it was like, ugh, you didn't know what you're doing. And I probably didn't do a great job working at that point in time in my life either. Um, healing does bring hope, and there is hope. There is hope that life will go on. There is hope that, you know, once you find something like I like, you find that joy in your life, and you can reaffirm the survivors that they can choose life to live. And you know, it's all it, that's all a part of it. Yeah, and the in SR's novels, all of the characters have gone through some sort. William has lost Alicia, and uh, then he goes into the priesthood. His teacher dies. And, mm -hmm. you know, so there, and at the, his lowest point, that's when the Roman came in. Uh, Ravens lost her father and her mother's grief probably clouded her judgment when she got married to the man who molested her sister and, uh, you know, did uh, whatever else. So, I, you know, that's part of it. It is. And I, I think, you know, um, and, and. We have not really talked much at all this, except the utterance of the part three premiere about the, the film, mm -hmm. uh, about the Passion Flicks production. But I think the it's so compelling um, how they just displayed. And I can't wait for part three because we're going to really see more of the manifestation of, of the grief of the family of Grace mm -hmm. um, and also that manifestation of the loss when Gabriel reveals to Julia um, mm -hmm. what happened with Maya. Yeah. And I, I just think they've done such a masterful job just just within those first few minutes of the film when you see Professor Emerson hunched over his desk in that extreme, just that extreme intense agony mm -hmm. when he's on the phone with mm -hmm. his brother Scott. Um, and it can Kenzie's yes, Ken mentioned the Maya scene that that'll be coming up in part part three. I know reading it in the book was very heart wrenching, so yes. I, I know it's going to be for a lot of people. It is, it is, and and Lori noted loss is the hardest thing we humans have to deal with. It's so hard, mm -hmm. and Judith shared that her timeline for grief: she lost her mother, mm -hmm. um, her brother, only forty five years old, and her father one after the other. And mm -hmm. Judith, I, I definitely can relate to that. I, mm -hmm. as some of you know, who were on the Emmer zoom when I completely lost it. And, um, I had a period in 2012 where I lost six people in a period of eight weeks, including my stepmother and my mother-in-law who mm -hmm. were 
my mother-in-law in particular, who was a very intense and integral part of our lives, um, in addition to friends, um, most all of them were from cancer. Uh, it was just unbelievable. Um, and it, it is overwhelming, um, and it can be just um, devastating. And then within six months, I lost my brother. He was seven years younger than me in a car accident. So that was completely unexpected. Mm-hmm. And then within a year, I lost one of my best friends. Um, so it's, it is, it's kind of going through and mm-hmm. all these steps are things you go through. Um, I, I had a very different take though. I feel like when the first person that I grieved deeply was my grandfather and I feel like I grieved the loss of every person I loved with his passing because I kind of realized that I am going to be losing people and they will be moving on and I will be reuniting with them down the road. Mm-hmm. But I, that particular loss for me was overwhelming. And I literally was out for weeks, for a week, for a week, not weeks. But I mean, it, it really shook my core. Yeah. But then it almost... Like I said, I grieved so many people. I, I grieved that moment with the loss and the recognition that this is life. This is what happens. This is part of our circle mm-hmm. of life, mm-hmm. right? Um, Absolutely. So, so when I had that horrible time and that horrible period of 2012, 2013, 2014, um, I, had, I, I feel like there was grace uh, given to me because I, I didn't go through the same type of feeling I did from that initial loss. Um, so it's, it's just a lot to go through. It and is. I think it's really important that we share um, and share the memories. So it, there, it, it's, it's, um, it, it really can um, help other people, I think. Uh, yeah, I definitely. I, and I think too, that when, you know, especially when you're a child and you start losing your grandparents, Mm-hmm. I think I think I was about I think I was nine when my my mother's mother passed away. Eleven mm-hmm. days eleven days later, her father passed away. Now that was very hard on my mm-hmm. mother, and I remember that. I at when I was that age, it was a, just sort of a blur for me. But I felt, mm-hmm. you know, you knew it was there was a loss there, and right. you know. So and I but I, I the other thing, and I have to pref- reference this this way. I grew up in a house. My my mother's father was an undertaker. And mm. we lived with my grandparents because my grandmother had been sick for a very long time. And when we were, I think it was about six years old, we moved in with them. Six or seven. And so there was always some form of death around me. Right. Uh, through phone calls, my grandfather having to work late because he had a a, uh, a viewing going on at his funeral home or my father having to go to help direct traffic or whatever it may have been. And um, he, uh, so we, I, sadly or funnily, we, we, I've kind of grown an irreverent humor around death. Right. Um, as my coping method. So, well, laughter is the best medicine. It right? is, and I have been able to 
you know, that's one of the, my saving graces on that was because when my mother would start it and then my father would, you know, get into it. And, and as we go along, I mean, my sister and I cannot go to funerals together because we break out in giggles. So, uh, again, I mean, this is this is our coping method. Uh, I, exactly. I, I don't think that everybody's like that. And, you know, and I hope nobody takes offense to that for me because that's just, I, again, I it was all part of my life. It was all part of the natural order. You're born, you live, and you die. I mean, it, well, and right, it's like the Lion King, right? I mean, yeah. in the circle of life, that is, the, that is life. what it came to. Now, that period of time when my grandfather passed, I was, um, let's see, I was 30. So mm -hmm. I was, I was, I had children. I mean, I had, the girls were very small. Um, so it was, first of all, I was very lucky to have grandparents who um, I got to know as an adult. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it was just also very, um, I think that, that is also why I, I kind of process things as I did. Mm -hmm. um, and then so many other people have shared, um, Judith noted it was very hard when she had her passings because she couldn't take farewells because um, she was living in a dis distant country. Mm -hmm. And Jean Ann noted, and this is so heartbreaking, um, this week her friend lost their 10-year-old son mm -hmm. unexpectedly. It's been very emotional and heartbreaking week. She's now preparing for the funeral. I'm between my personal part in this and the professional side, but it's a very difficult road we have to go on now. I'm just so sorry about that. Yeah. Um, Anna noted that anyone going through a physical illness is also experiencing trauma. Even though it may be a normal and regular medical procedure, it isn't for the patients, nurses, and doctors need to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, as I as you know, I've been around and I was caregiving for lots of people in my life. Um, and that's very traumatic. And I think mm -hmm. you have a great point. Um, Judith said it was very hard for her. She had a problem with her mother because she never loved her. Only her brother was the focus. She never understood why. And that was hard too. And mm -hmm. I think Judith, I think, and I'm, I'm glad you were able to have your, your counseling through some of your traumas too, because, mm -hmm. um, that is hard when someone passes and there are unanswered questions. And, um, you know, I think that you sometimes have to just accept that you're not going to know. Um, and it's, it's very difficult, but I'm sorry you had to go through that. Yeah. And KK had shared a very, very painful memory about November 4th, 2011. Mm -hmm. um, it's a hard day. She can't go in her kitchen because that was where she was sitting and saw her two brothers walking up to the side of their house 6 a.m. to deliver the news about her nephew, Levi, mm -hmm. who died from suicide. Um, he was 28 years old. He was her best friend. She was a teenager when he was born and they grew up together. And then four years later on November 14th, she lost another nephew who took his life. And so mm -hmm. two of her siblings have lost children. Peter was also 28. Mm -hmm. So again, another reason why this discussion and this day is so important. Mental health Absolutely. is critical. And um, the link that I put at the very beginning of the chat um, does uh, 
also point you to resources. I know the World Health Organization can point you to resources or Google in your own countries where you can go for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kenzie shared a very sad story, too, um, about finding her father. Mm-hmm. And I've known several people who've been in this situation. And Kenzie, I don't envy you because you were very young when this happened. Yes, you uh, She found her dad on the floor when he suddenly passed away after coming home from work. Um, and then she watched her grandmother slip away from cancer in the same year. It's very painful, she says, but I had a peaceful dream about my father a few days after the funeral, and I believe he is safe now and no longer in pain because of that dream. And I believe that he visited you in your Mm -hmm. dream. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a way of helping to try and heal you and bring you peace. I'm a firm believer of that. I'm a very firm believer of that. I mean, I know that... um, my father's sister and I were very close and I know that she visits me every now and then and it's always in that twilight hour and she always comes to me when there's some sort of trouble going on somewhere within the family so but you know it's I I truly totally believe in that so and it's not to freak anybody out it's not scary Right. Well, and, um, you know, I, again, I, and I do want to, I am sharing these stories. And like I said, um, I, I just want to make sure uh, that people know you are supported and there is help. Mm-hmm. Tatiana had noted her grandmother passed away from breast cancer when she was eight. I'm so sorry, Tatiana. She died on my hands with my parents because my parents were not around because um, they couldn't leave work. Their bosses wouldn't let them. Mm-hmm. It was a scary experience for her, and she's still trying to process that. I can imagine, because you yeah, are a very imagine. young woman, Tatiana, and I'm so sorry. But what a blessing for your grandmother to have you with her when she mm-hmm. transitioned to the next stage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's There's something very, I keep using that word grace, but for me, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. I helped, I was helping to clean um, my mother-in-law and to prepare her after she passed, it was me and my husband's cousin and the hospice worker. We were helping to just get her ready, um, for people to come, um, from the funeral home. And it was just, there was such a reverence in caring for that body that held that soul Mm -hmm. and the soul that's no longer in the body. Um, it was just very powerful. So I, and having that experience, having her pass when you were so young, I, I just, I feel for you. Yeah. Um, Judith says, I think talking about our different prop- problems is lifting, giving you the strength and determination that you're not alone. Absolutely, Judith. I was telling Pam all week, I'm so excited about Saturday. This is going to be a really good podcast. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important that we're talking about this. Okay. And, um, it's very it's, important it's that, that we talk about these things. And, you know, it's also good to share things, even as painful as some of them may be, mm-hmm. because we are all on a level where we, you know, sharing and opening up can also lead to healing and, and moving on. Yes. Moving forward. Yes. And Floor, Floor had also a very powerful story. She was young when her little sister passed away. And I lost my parents to grief. Mm-hmm. She grew closer to her grandmother, and she just passed away a few weeks ago. I remember that for I'm so sorry. Yeah. As you say, you don't move on. You simply learn to live with the pain. Um, and yes, part of those stages of 
stages of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, Ashley's saying so moving these stories. We're praying for you all. And, um, Betty said once laughed out loud at her little parakeet's funeral because her brothers didn't dig the hole deep enough and its little feet were sticking out after we tried burying. You know, and and Betty, Benny, Betty, Benny to add the levity. This is exactly, <laughs> exactly what would have happened at, at, yeah. at the funerals that I've gone to recently, those yes. stories, so. It's yes. good to hear. It's good to hear. It is good to hear. It is good to hear. Um, and, and Tatiana noted she thought Kenzie's dream probably gave her closure of sorts. Of course. And um, Ellie is also had shared some very compelling stories. Um, tr- loss and grief. She's giving us all hugs, trying to focus on the memories and seeing them again that the earthly pain is over. She's a huge family and lost so many of them. Her dad, one of 10, mm-hmm. all gone. Of their spouses, only three left, including her mom. Mm-hmm. Father-in-law lost to cancer. Cousins, they lost eight thus far. It's the circle of life. And I Absolutely. think of them as having parties in heaven. My dad is telling all the children's stories and singing with the full breath again. I still talk to him or think of him daily after his loss 11 years ago. Yes, they, they never leave you. They are no, they always don't. a part of you. And I feel very strongly in that, all of all of the loved ones. It's, well, it's, it's a one, beautiful thing. I'll add one more story to this, and, and uh, that was my, with my mom. Um, my mother had her, her very best friend in the world uh, passed away to cancer, pancreatic cancer. Mm. And so my when... Her family, she was on hospice, and her family brought her back to her son's home uh, from the house she wanted to be in. She had a beach house in South Jersey. And Mm -hmm. uh, so they brought her up, and they asked my mom to accompany them. And my mom, again, being the daughter of a funeral director who wanted to be a funeral director, said, absolutely, I'll go with you. So... uh, they're sitting, Aunt Kitty basically passed away on the patio of uh, his, her son's house while they were waiting to exchange uh, stretchers because they couldn't take the regular stretcher from the ambulance up to where she was. Her mm. mm-hmm. And so, you know, that all goes good. We, the funeral happens and we're at the cemetery. And my my mom has severe rheumatoid arthritis and has difficulty walk had difficulty walking in any event. And that day she in particular she was we had her in a wheelchair up to a certain point and then she walked over to the grave. So at the end of the service we're putting a flower on the casket and uh my mom almost fell in. <laughs> oh, gosh. And my mother's <laughs> sitting, God damn you, Kitty. You're trying to get me in one, one foot in the grave and you're trying to get me in already. So, you know, just. I love got, it, though. It's You got to laugh. You I do. Mean, you for, do. We had tons of laughs. And actually, what's one of the things I love about um, having a gathering after. Uh, the passing of someone, it mm-hmm. is such a great opportunity to mm-hmm. celebrate life and celebrate the good times. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends could not stop laughing at the parade of stunningly gorgeous women who came through when my brother passed away. My brother, mm-hmm. 
had a was very much loved by the ladies and I'm telling you there were countless numbers of gorgeous women who all came to pay their respects Um, and that was kind of one of the jokes you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the whole time but uh, you know all the good things were remembered and as Betty says remembering the good times always helps Yes, and, it does. And, you know, um, Jean Anne's, uh, or I should say Kenzie had said, I think I discovered SR novels in the autumn of 2014 after she was attacked. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't found them there. They came into my life when I needed them and saved my life. I found grace, peace, rediscovered my love for life and interest in art, food, travel, culture, and religion. I've been grateful to have all the discussions with SR about these things and then to have found you all. I almost feel these novels were written for me, even though I know they weren't. And I think that's compelling about any great literature. And I, yes, I'm saying this is great literature mm-hmm. because it has that universality that that brings you in and that people can relate to. And it does make it feel like it's written just for you. And, you know, as in many of the reading groups that I'm involved in on Facebook or Twitter with, with SR's books, Everybody shares that experience of finding SR's books at a time in their life when things were very hard and, and how mm-hmm. it uplifted them. So that's a tribute to his writing. It is. And Franca, we'll see you. Mm-hmm. Uh, she Thank has you, to Franca. get going. She's thanking us for a, a very emotional but excellent chat. Thank you, everyone, for being brave and sharing your stories. Wishing you all a peaceful and safe weekend. Love and hugs, love and hugs to you all. And, um, yeah, I I think we can, you know, two other things I wanted to share and then we could move on. Mm -hmm. Um, Ellie had said she was so sorry, Kenzie. These books are healing for many and those who have experienced loss, abuse, addiction, et cetera, can relate to SR stories even more. Mm -hmm. And Annette said these stories bring so much back to me. Sometimes when we lose someone so close to us, we go into self-destructive patterns when this happens. I will say that parts of my 20s were due to this, and I wish I would have had this group then. We wish we would have known you then, mm-hmm. Annette, because um, first of all, we would have had a really, really good time. <laughs> and second of all, we would have helped you through um, these challenges. So um, it's, it's, it's really, really good. Um, and yes, Judith, you are lucky that you met your own Gabriel at the age of 15. And he you, is her best shirt. Right. I love that. So just a couple of other things we wanted to go through. Uh, you know, one of the things that SR does is include his body image in right. his work. Um, you look at uh, Nicholas's scars from when he was attacked by the people that killed his sister, the physical scars, mm-hmm. and you look at Raven and, you know, everything she went through uh, with her leg and the problems she had with that. So, you know, it's, these scars can be as, as physically uh, hurtful as well as emotionally hurtful that can, that can linger on in, in your mind. There's a, mm-hmm. um, there's a really good article in uh, Psychology Today that Leslie found, and uh, we'll put the uh, I'm putting in that in the chat. Yeah. Yes. So that, um, you know, it's you, talking about that body image uh, issues um, and things that you can consider. consider. And as Judith mm-hmm. just wrote, scars are not always visible, which is That's true. That's very true. 
And, and that's why Kenzie noted, that's why Raven means so much to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the last thing we, I know that we're, we're into double overtime now. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the very tail end ladies. Um, we did just want to share a few more links um, and, and wrap up with the fact <laughs> they are the Christmas show. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are heading towards the, that holiday season. Absolutely. And Thanksgiving um, in Canada will Monday. Be the, the remarkable uh, year of 2020 will be coming to a close, and 2020 hallmark in all of our lives is going to be the pandemic. Oh. And <laughs> yes, life is never boring at Pam's house, Betty. No. Um, and the, the pandemic has been a source of fear and anxiety and stress and mm-hmm. people can feel isolated because of social distancing and, um, coping with stress in a healthy way can make you and the people you care about and your community stronger. And I'm including two links from the U S centers for disease control and also from the Mayo Clinic about um, mental health and COVID. And I think you'll find these very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things to keep in mind in terms of healthy ways to cope with stress are to know, uh, again, with, in terms of the pandemic, know what to do if you are sick and concerned about COVID Mm-hmm. Um, in this instance, knowledge is power. So that will actually help alleviate your stress if you have a game plan, mm-hmm. um, what to look for and uh, if when you should call your doctor. Mm-hmm. So that's having that will help with your peace of mind. Know where and how to get treatment and other support services and resources um, for counseling and therapy as well. Um Take breaks from watching, reading, or listening to news stories, including those on social media. Because if you continually are listening to that 24-hour news cycle, that can be very, very upsetting. And, that and I can say, especially, especially it's not now. just for COVID, mm-hmm. but even in the United States, we have a very contentious election that is very stressful for many people. So limit your news. Um, limit what can stress you out. Um, take care of your body. Deep mm-hmm. breathing is important. Healthy eating. Exercise. I cannot underscore how important exercise has been for me and my mental health. Um, taking walks every day, being outside in the sunshine makes a big mm-hmm. difference. Get sleep. All these self-care things really can help you with your mind and, and med- connecting with others. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say in meditation, that's a big help too. Meditation's a huge help. Yeah, and there's Not, some really great apps out there with meditation. Um, knowing um, and connecting with your community, like we're doing now, even faith-based organizations. Franca's, um, I think, her relative who sought faith-based um, after his war experience. Mm-hmm. Um any type of connection will really help you get through this and consider connecting online, which we're doing now. Which we're doing now. And, and every now and then a bunch of us all get together different groups of, with zoom calls. Um, 
I know that with Kenzie and Betty and KK, we've watched movies on through Zoom. We've shared it so we can all watch it. Uh, yeah, just the if, at, physical act of sharing with somebody, even if it's online, can help bring ease. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and I'm, I'm looking some of the suggestions in the chat room. Betty's saying audiobooks help a lot, too. They are lovely distraction. Mm-hmm. I know for mm-hmm. me, reading or watching uh, movies or shows, wonderful distractions. Cooking um, is great. Happy Color became mm-hmm. Judith's friend, she said. Um, and Kenzie is getting outside today. She has to get her motor, her voter ballot signed and notarized. Well, good for you, Kenzie. You good need the you. fresh air. It will be good. And we asked um, Asar uh, how, if he has any wellness advice for listeners during our challenging times. And Asar said, in terms of wellness advice, I think the first thing to recognize is that many, if not all of us, are struggling right now with challenges related to the pandemic. So readers who are experiencing mental health issues are not alone. I think the majority of people are having the same challenges, but help is available. And he continues on. My best advice is not to ignore health problems. Most health problems, physical or mental, do not heal themselves. This means that the strategy of ignoring them won't work and will probably make things worse. Mm -hmm. So seek help. Help is available. And now more than ever is the time to reach out. So I'm actually going to copy that in our chat box, too, because I think that's really important. And um, I I did see Jean Ann... um, has graciously offered some words and I wanted to read that if anyone needs to or has questions about COVID that they do not want to express publicly, please feel free to contact me and I'm happy to help or direct as well. I know some of the site's resources can get a bit confusing when you aren't sure where to look. So thank you for that, Jeannie. And that is a very kind offer. And I think we will take you up on that if needed. (laughs) <laughs> and th- and thanks for all your service because she's saying day 236 um, straight in terms of her working. She can't wait for a day off. Oh, I'm we sure We can't wait that. till you can have a day off. And Anna is reminding us it is breast cancer, October's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Get checked, please. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Some of Save the tatas. Save the tatas. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kenzie included a helpful account to follow, um, which thank you for sharing that. And Ellie, I think we all agree with you. Um, Jane Ann deserves a day a off. off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a year a off. Year off. <laughs> so um, we went long. We did. But I think it was a wonderful way to recognize and celebrate and share Mental Health Awareness Day. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah. I'm i seeing there's some more sites. If you guys want to link, check the links, this is always up on Mixler. You can go to this podcast and you can go through the chat and, and see the them. links if you need them. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't, you know, I this has been really amazing it's and we will be i think Lori had mentioned about hoping sr listens to this um and i i do think he will mm-hmm. and i do plan to share a lot of uh, what's been shared in the chat with him as well because mm-hmm. a lot of times if he if there are comments or things that i think he would find 
um, or appreciate hearing, we will send them to him and we will do that today. And I also did want to recognize Carrie. I know she did mention that she did go through um, a real challenging time with postpartum after she had her daughter. And she was glad that you raised the issue, Pam, of the fact that sometimes you're not happy when you come home with a baby. And uh, Carrie, I didn't want to forget. And I wanted to recognize that because um, it's so important. And I I think having these discussions are important so people know you're not alone. Absolutely, because we're we're not alone in this, no matter, Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're going through the COVID anxiety, the political anxiety of the country or any country, and uh, also just in general, the, the your day-to-day mental health and, and what you go through. We are not alone, and, and we, you can always reach out to us to talk at any time because um, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a humanity, we, we reach out to each other for support and comfort. Yes. So. And as I noted, we're all in this together, Q High School Musical. Mm-hmm. I know Kenzie got the reference. That's a Disney reference for those <laughs> of you who don't know that um, Disney musical. <laughs> so, <laughs> Flora's saying, LOL, Leslie, now I'm going to be singing it all day long. I'm I wanted so, to leave you with some uplifting stuff, guys. Yes. <laughs> no, I, and, I, and I am glad that I don't have that, that earworm <laughs> going. So, because I. Um, <laughs> It's a good song, actually. I'm sure it um, is, but I was I was not I didn't have a daughter, so I didn't get into the the girly <laughs> high school musicals like when I was with the monkeys growing up. So we're we're all good there. Anyway, <laughs> well, thank so. you so much. We'll be joining you next week to discuss chapter four, chapter four of Gabriel's Promise. And uh, so we'll we'll be getting off, and I'm going to be. Uh, Leaving you with a little Frank Zappa this morning. That's the name from the past. With I Peach. know. I love Frank Zappa. <laughs> that was my cousin's favorite, too. In fact, his boat was <laughs> named after one of Frank Zappa's song, songs, The Mud Shark. Um, so uh, his it's Peaches and Regalia. So I hope you all have a good week. And again, remember, we're in this together. And we'll, we'll all talk. Have Thanks a good week, so everybody. Much.